Welcome, welcome, welcome. Another hobbling through of a solo show with just me, Dustin, Kava, your other host. I think you noticed last week that BC was a little bit under the weather, and let's just say the weather got him this week, too. Um, you know, I guess to me, because this is such a different show without BC, I always like to kind of think about the why. And to me, this whole show is about the whole show is about the why. To, it's in the name because cannabis. It's what it did for my life, what it does for the people that I've been around. It makes a huge difference. And to me, I am blessed with the fact that I get to talk to so many amazing people that have incredible why statements. And truthfully, today is really no different. We have such an amazing guest. We know that it's Friday. You're ready for the weekend. You're just kind of ready to, you know, kick back and kind of get ready with your weekend. And, you know, this is going to be a pretty laid back conversation today. As you can see, we're a little bit off, but, you know, it's just one of those Fridays. So kick back, enjoy the show. I'm going to bring in my guest um, and we're going to kind of start the gig. Hey, Eric. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, how you doing today? Doing well, my friend. Doing well. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, man. I am telling you, we are hobbling through today. I will definitely say that BC is more of the personality on the show, and I tend to be more of the passion. So you're going to get less news voice and more fucking tears in my eye when we talk about some of the things that, you know, you go through, that you've been fighting for, that you've just been working towards for years and years. But first, I kind of want to give everyone listening a little recap, um, you know, uh, just a basic bio on you. And, you know, you're, gosh, one, you're a cannabis educator, a lobbyist, an advocate in the industry. You were a master solventless cannabis extraction specialist. You're a disabled army vet and a patient. You, you know, you, you publicly speak. You, there is so much about your why and what you do and just your past. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just pretty excited. This is going to be a pretty well-rounded show and we're going to be able to hit on a bunch of pretty amazing topics. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. It's my pleasure to be here, man. I'm always uh, looking to get the word out to more and more people about uh, how this plant can save your life. You know? Yeah. I guess I want to talk. We'll start back a little bit with your past. I mean, you have been a content creator for, for, for years and years. And as someone who, you know, not in this various capacity with the show, but in my own businesses and stuff like that, the constant content, the constant educating, um, you know, there is, there are more downs than up when it comes to you presenting your education to the world in terms of like YouTube, you're not, you don't have this one-on-one, -on -one, you don't have this, right. you know, that, that personal where you can see the eyes and see that what you're saying is actually clicking and what you're doing is providing an immense amount of value, but you're putting it out in the ether. And, 
you know, it's pretty amazing to see one, how far you've come and just the due diligence that you do to continuously make content, no matter how you feel, no matter what day, no matter what you're out there, you're educating. It doesn't stop. Um, oh, no, it never stops. Neither does the learning process. And that's that's something to me that I love, even about this show. You know, it's not about me educating others so much. It's the fact that I get to... Um, I get to be so educated. I get to sit here and hear and surround myself with people who are. They're learning every day. I, I don't think, I think the ones that succeed in this industry are the ones who understand that they have to continue learning every day. Oh, absolutely. Once you think you've, you've learned it all, uh, you're pretty much done. Uh, <laughs> this plant is, is so uh, amazing in its breadth and scope of what you can do with it, the medicinal value it contains. Uh, I learn something new every time I press a new strain. Uh, I never get bored with it, which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm such a big fan of uh, making flower rosin. Um, it's a case use thing. You know, a lot of guys that you'll talk to are into washing hash, okay? And that's fine. Nothing wrong with hash. It's delicious. It's, it's wonderful. But the amount of labor involved and time and extra equipment that you have to have to do it properly makes it demand a much higher price on the market, making it non-affordable to most patients, okay? Because a lot of patients are disabled, like myself, we're on fixed incomes. You can't afford pricing your product at 80, 90, 100 plus dollars a gram. That's not affordable to patients. It's not sustainable to medicate with. That is, I consider hash rosin a recreational product just because of its price point and the fact that it has to be, you know, the labor involved warrants that price point. The, the, my particular case use is I have patients who go to the dispensaries and they spend anywhere from 50 to 65 and eighth for, for an eighth of weed and they need to get the very best out of that flower. Yeah. Okay. But they can't wait two or three days to have it done. So they bring it to me and I can give them an instantly usable single stage, a grade bud solventless concentrate full spectrum right there on the spot. And, and for my case use, which is helping patients make better medicine, that's the way I've had to, focus my attention. And while I have made hash on a limited basis, it is not something I focus on. I focus strictly on flower rosin. It's where uh, I get some amazing results. It all depends on the quality of the material that you start with. You can't make good rosin out of bad flour, you know? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, over the last couple of years, our grower processors have all been bought out by uh, multi-state operators. And as a result of that, the quality has gone way down. And I mean, way down. Uh, strains that I was pressing two, three years ago, and I was getting 28, 32% yields, I'm getting 24% yields on now. And I'm not pressing it any different. The flower changed. That's the thing about flower rosin too. The rosin press is a crucible. It never lies, okay? It will always show you the quality of the flower that you're dealing with. So you can't 
say that it's the same strain and it's grown the same way if what I'm getting isn't substantially like what I got before, you know? I want, yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. I'm actually, do you think, is it, I guess my question to you, is it the same cultivator that, you, you know, like I, I, how to say this? As a patient myself, it has always been a dollar amount choice, especially in Ohio. We have to buy by the tenth. We yeah. have to, um, you know, the the at the at the amount of money that most of the high, the high tier, you know, concentrates in our in our in our system here that I am able to purchase. We're talking you know, $85 to a hundred dollars a gram still. And there is a point as a patient where it's, it's just not feasible. You know, um, when I look at other States and, and how it worked for patients, you know, I look at Michigan and I saw, some of the verbiage in, in what was passed as really powerful. Originally on, it was like, you know, any means necessary to get your medicine was acceptable. If that meant you had to order it out of state, buy it from a guy on the street, whatever it is from your perspective as a patient, it was right. any means necessary. When I think of Ohio and I think of, and, and PA is, PA is still extremely strict. When I think of all the other surrounding states to us, and I think about us, and I think about the restrictions that we're having, um, and, and, and the amount, the access to it, even though it's getting better, it's no way, shape, or form perfect. And no. the expectation on the patient, especially with fixed incomes, even with discounts, even no. with certain things that are being applied to you, it's not feasible when I think about how this is supposed to be used in your normal wellness routine. This isn't something where this is something that changes with you. I think as you, I, I think as someone who, who is working with so many different patients, helping them get to that end stage between what is financially feasible to them and what actually is effective in how they need it. You are also seeing the change in a patient, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. and, and you understand that this strain may be for my after I eat because it helps me settle my stomach. This strain may be for before bed. I may actually want more, you know, of some other non-THC dominant heavy strain before certain instances. And you're seeing them use it at different times of the day and different reasons. And for that, it has to be cost effective. It just has to well, be. Well, let me give you, I mean, I can use myself as a perfect example. Okay. When, when Pennsylvania, signed legal cannabis uh, for patients into, into law in 2016, we did not have any dispensaries available until 2018. Okay, that's when my, uh, my journey in the cannabis space in a public way started in 2018. Okay. We like to call it coming out of your cannabis closet. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it, it, look, Cannabis saved my life because after my Gulf War service, I was a basket case. Okay. I got out of the army in October of 91 after uh, having 
served uh, both in the Cold War by being stationed in West Germany prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall, but also going and fighting in the first Gulf War in 1991. Uh, a lot of us got very sick. We didn't have IEDs and, and, and urban fighting like the guys who went later on had. But what we had to deal with that they didn't is chemical weapons. And a lot of our damage is all internal. Okay, my my lungs, my metabolism, uh, you know, it, it is a, a big problem for us. We're dying at, at uh, elevated rates of really aggressive cancers, pancreatic, brain, lungs. And it's all due to the environmental conditions, the burn pits, the oil smoke from the burning oil wells. All of these things contributed to the, the myriad of problems that Gulf War veterans have been facing for the last three decades. Um, I can tell you that by 1994, uh, my my mental health and my physical health had deteriorated to the point where I uh, lost where I was living. I was homeless on the street, and I tried to, to kill myself back then. Luckily for me at the time, uh, the VA had a uh, program for homeless veterans called the domiciliary, and I, I managed to qualify to get into it. And they took a very medication-heavy approach to helping veterans. They didn't really understand uh, how to help us yet because it was still such a fresh uh, situation. So there was a lot of missteps on the VA's point during the 90s and we were treated less than stellar uh, by the system. But what I ended up finding after being a zombie for over a year on all the medications that the VA had me on was that with the judicious use of cannabis, I was able to get off of and no longer need any of the psych or sleep or pain meds that they had had me on uh, for five, six years. Now, I, I was still using it before it was ever legal, but now we fast forward to 2016, right? Pennsylvania decided that, well, we have to do something because uh, everybody else is, is going to have medical soon. And they had an opportunity to give patients the basic rights that most other states have for their medical patients, which is the ability to grow your own medicine, because not all the dispensaries are always going to have strains that are useful for you, that work well for you. And you ought to have the right to grow a few plants for yourself to, to medicate for what you need to at a much cheaper price. What Pennsylvania did was they ripped home grow out of the, out of the bill before it got passed. They also made sure that the cost of entry was so high that only corporate players could play here. Okay. They were warned by our um, auditor general back in 2018 that if Pennsylvania had been the first ones to legalize in the region, we'd have gained $500 million year one in tourism and, and tax money and all that. But our GOP controlled state house was not going to give a Democratic governor the win on legalization. So they have thwarted every attempt to not only get adult use legalized, but also to put in the kind of social equity uh, licensing that other states have, have moved forward on, like Massachusetts, Michigan, and things like that. Also, Pennsylvania, and you know this from being in Ohio, has one of the most restricted systems anyway because you cannot smoke flour in Pennsylvania at all. So there's no pre-rolls. You cannot, you cannot buy edibles except for 
tinctures and capsules. So there's no gummies, there's no brownies or, or any other kind of, of, of edible medication, uh, except for RSO, of course. But that's $75 a gram at the dispensary. Right. It's all mini bar prices. Now, I will tell you that I have, because of the nature of what I do, a lot of small uh, growers, uh, I call them subsistence growers, guys who are just growing, you know, four or five plants for their own use. They're not commercial growing. They're not selling it. But they're growing some of the highest quality flower I've seen this side of the West Coast. And I need to shout out some boys from Ohio, my boys, the Quality Brothers. They are putting out the highest quality flower Pennsylvania's ever seen. And they're doing it on a small craft growing basis. It's very exclusive. It's very, very hard to get. But they don't charge the kind of prices you would think they would be charging for the kind of quality they're putting out. So when you go on my YouTube channel and you see me pressing space cookies or, or GMO or Mac one, if I don't say the name of the processor, this comes from the quality brother. Okay? <laughs> and, and these guys are they're They love their plants. You can tell the minute you look at this stuff, especially if you put it like in a Mason bright jar mm -hmm. and look at it under magnification, it looks like you're looking at the inside of a geode. It, it, it just it trichome heads covering the whole thing. And the kind of material that you start with matters. The kind of material I can produce from it. At, so they're giving me better quality at a at a much better price point because okay, you're spending sixty five and eight. That's almost four hundred and fifty an ounce. Exactly. Okay, but if I'm only paying you know less than well, two hundred an ounce, and I'm getting exactly better returns and better quality. But that, the cost that, per gram for me goes down to under thirty dollars a gram. At what point in the supply range? Right. Yeah. At what point in the supply chain do you feel like those costs are becoming exponential? At what point do you think it's specifically because you're running the state route, or do you think that and and that's and and that is why so much passion goes to the home grow because you want that that less cost access. I mean, do you see the but ability? It isn't, it isn't a matter of cost so much. Okay. Cost is, is definitely a major factor. Cost to quality. But quality is ultimately my personal goal. And I know most of the patients that I deal with would much rather have quality over quantity. That's why they come to me because granted, Sometimes with some strains, because not all strains press well, some are good smokers and some are good for pressing. Yeah. Okay. If a, if a patient brings me a, a quarter of something that they, that they bought at the dispensary and say the yields don't even reach 20%, as long as the quality of the result is good, a lot of times patients aren't going to have as much of a problem with it. Yeah. But I'm always striving for that balance between the highest quality and still getting an acceptable yield. Okay. And there just aren't that many strains anymore in the system legally that are producing the kind of results that would make it economically viable for most patients okay. to do. Yeah. So you turn to your local craft growers, your small batch growers, because you can't love a thousand plants as well as you can love a hundred plants. That's just, yeah, Common right. Sense. So when you scale up to commercial growing, 
yeah. you're never going to have the kind of quality that your small batch growers are ever going to produce because they can love those plants and pay much more attention to them individually and, and fine tune their growth. Whereas when you're growing commercially, you lose a lot of that control in order to produce, 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 which is what our system here in Pennsylvania does. They, they grow it too fast. They don't let it mature properly. They quick cure, quick dry it, and they dry it way too much. And to add insult to injury, most of, not all, but most of the grower processors are mechanically trimming and or tumbling their buds yes. prior to packaging and then trying to sell them their keef right. the as a secondary product. Exactly. Well, and they're even not here. getting what they're paying for to begin with, which is why I gave up on going to the dispensaries for flour at all. Yeah. If they have a sale on concentrates or a sale on cartridges, yeah, I'll buy some stuff to, to, to recreate with. But quite honestly, when it comes to daily medicating, I am much happier and, and in much better financial shape working with the Quality Brothers and some of the other small craft growers that have popped up here in well, PA on the low because none of it's legal yet. And but, your access is there. You know, so when I think I own a head shop <laughs> and in my head, a high end, you know, American glass gallery, essentially. Yeah. And we had, you know probably 150 to 200 people that would come through the door a day since Ohio's laws have went into effect. We, the dispensary is capped with their arms behind their back about what, what and how they're able to do. You are, you are not allowed to get your medicine from anywhere else, you know? And when I think about the people who, who, who get to have the dynamic that you, ah, there we go, man. Uh, that's, I love it. I love it. You this like thing, it a lot. This Northern Lights edition, this yeah. thing's the shit, man. I'm telling you. Give me, give me just a second. I'm going to grab my jar and, yep. and I'm going to do a dab with you while we're on here. <laughs> so I, know, uh, because I'm on the computer, I can't really pan around the uh, studio and kind of show you what I got going on in here. But uh, rest assured, I have quite a bit of... Uh, of uh, wonderful things going on at this studio all the time. I mean, I've got giveaways I'm doing. I've got a lot of uh, companies that are sending me devices and stuff to give away at these live yes. events. We're gearing up for the Pittsburgh Cannabis Festival, August 14th here in Pittsburgh. It is the largest cannabis-related event in Western Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And this is the only the second year it's been going on. And this year, the mayor of Pittsburgh is Ed Ganey, and he is a good friend of mine. I helped, I helped with his campaign. He is the mayor of Pittsburgh, and he's going to show up to this event. Uh, <laughs> as is the lieutenant governor's wife. She always comes out to these events. They, they're both huge supporters of my outreach ever since I started in 2018. Uh, and getting to that, okay, my military time was both excellent and terrible and i ended up coming out of it very damaged emotionally physically cannabis turned all that around for me okay so in 2018 when they when they start opening dispensaries 
And and six months in, when they started legalizing flour to be sold, because flour wasn't available when we first opened our dispensaries, all you could get were cartridges and concentrates. Yes, I remember and that. Okay, so when they legalized flour, the only thing you can do with flour legally in PA is dry vape it. Yep. Make it into edibles or solventless concentrates, no BHO. So that's where I decided to focus mm-hmm. and become an expert on this. And I dove into this with the same veracity that I dove into my military and my college and my law enforcement career when I was in Florida. I just, I have nothing but time. I don't have a day job. So (laughs) I managed to dive in and learn as much about this process from as many experts as I could. I developed my own processing that uh, eliminates the needs for gauges and timers, which most people rely on. And if you want to know whether or not I'm doing it right or wrong, go on my YouTube channel. I've got over 800 videos that I put up, good results, bad results, blowouts. I don't hide anything from anybody because if you're going to get into this as a vocation or even as somebody who's just trying to make medicine for yourself, you have to have a realistic expectation of what can happen on a daily basis. When you watch videos from like, Nug Smasher and Pure Pressure and all these companies that are trying to sell you equipment, you're not getting a realistic understanding of what really goes into doing this. But when you see my videos, I have no monetization. I'm not monetizing right. any of my social media. I don't I don't sell anything. I am strictly showing if I tell you a piece of equipment's good, it's because I use the damn thing every day and it works well for me. Everybody's got their own opinions. I love this dab rig. Okay, this this thing is awesome. A lot of people are into the peaks and and all the other things, and they don't want to hear about a new kind of device after they've invested four hundred dollars in a Peak Pro. Wow, and okay. I mean at the and same so point, they give they give me a lot of static when I try and explain to them why this is a better machine. I've owned the Peak Pro, so I have a comparison to go by. A lot of these guys. They just invest in the one technology and then they're stuck at that and they'll they'll defend their usage of it, even if something is demonstrably better. Well, I I mean, OK, again, coming from the head shop perspective, I want, yeah. you know, two points I wanted to bring up. One, your demographic, the ones that are coming to you, what what? Uh, what age? I mean, are they, they're not your 85 year old ladies, right? That, that don't know a damn about the industry and really need to be educated on their medicine. And then are, you know, terrified. They have to be someone who is more connected to the culture and the community to have to know you and that, like, how does that work? You know, at what, who are the people that come to you? People that come to me, uh, well, it, it it crosses all the spectrums. I mean, I get I get young people coming to me that are new patients, and and they just they really like uh, solventless concentrates, and they just don't want to pay the kind of prices that you have to pay in our dispensaries for them. So they go and get their flour uh, from the dispensary. They bring it to me. I rehydrate it. I press it, and I send them on their way with better medicine. I never charge patients to do that. If they bring dispensary flour, I've never charged a patient ever to press yeah. it. Now, in order to continue to do that for free, I have to end up charging somebody because the bags are a buck fifty a piece. My yes. car, the equipment. I mean, it all costs me money at every stage yes. of, the, of, of the event. So uh, I decided that the people who can most afford it are people who are growers. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're a grower and you come to me and you want me to, to press, say, a quarter pound of your flour, I'm going to charge you 25 bucks an ounce to do it, mm-hmm. you know. But it's not an exorbitant cost. A lot of people charge a lot more than I do, and they can't get the results I get with flour. A lot well, of times you see pressing ha- pressing rosin, they're pressing hash. And let me tell you something about hash rosin. That's easy. It's already a concentrate. All you're doing is tempering it and filtering it slightly. But to take buds the raw medicine and produce gold from that is much harder to do, takes a lot more skill. And that's where I hang my hat. So a lot of guys who are, I like to call them hash queens that don't think flower rosin is any good. Uh, earlier this year, I went up to the cannabis cup in, and I took up a bunch of my flower rosin and, and at the hash bash and took it mm-hmm. to a bunch of guys who make nothing but hash Gave it to them, let them try it, didn't tell them it was flower rosin. They didn't believe me when I told them it was. <laughs> okay, you can get hash rosin quality from flour if you know what you're doing when you're pressing it. And I have made my entire reputation on, on making the best rosin you can make from flour. And is it as good as uh, in every single way? No, it's not as clean as, as hash rosin in terms of taste. But all the terpenes are there. The medicinal value is all there. Well, it's a hell of a lot less expensive per gram to make and 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 acquire than it is hash rosin. And again, you are educating the person about the process. It's not I'm going to go in my back room and do this while you have to sit out here in the, on the couch and wait. It is come with me and I'm going to walk you through the why. Come into the this, studio and let me show you exactly how this, how this and that works. matters. Exactly. This is a patient or a person that has come to you for a need in the first place. Smack one of those back for me. We're so this and thing, I love the aspire. It's got a different color scheme. It's got a blue light instead of an orange red one that the black, the regular one has. This thing's set at 150 degrees. And I run mine dry. I don't run water in mine because my lungs don't react well to moisture. And when you fill your rig with water, you're just humidifying your, your hit. So for me, when I do it dry, it doesn't make me cough as bad. Yeah. And what strain, after you're done smacking that back, what strain are we puffing on today? Space Cookies by Quality Brothers, baby. (laughs) (coughs) Dude, when when I get, when I pressed a quarter pound the other day, that's an entire month's worth of medicine for me. And and the cost per gram, based on the price I'm paying for the flour, it's $23 a gram. Yeah, and to now that is reasonable, especially when you're considering reasonable. anything up to forty dollars a gram for for solventless is very reasonable. So when and you, you know, start getting into the sixty, eighty, a hundred dollars a gram, that it's no longer a medicinal product; it's more of a recreational product because of the price point. Well, and again, this is a wellness routine. I mean, some people need the fast, hard hit that a concentrate hit does. Some I'm people, one of those people. Exactly. I can't smoke and, flour at all because my lungs are so damaged from the Gulf War that all I can do are concentrates that get me yes. where I need to be with my pain and, and stuff like that because cartridges, they don't do it. They don't get me well, where I need to be. And, and to Absolutely. me... You know, I think that there is, <coughs> you know, I, I in a lot of the people that we got to deal with, there is part the process that they love. 
They love the carb cap process. They love waiting for it to heat up and get to the exact temperature. The process matters in their routine. It's, it's sure. almost like the sipping your coffee in the morning and, and getting the cup made and, and any, you know, like, um, and again, I like that idea that cannabis, the usage of cannabis is so open to that. It's that means of if I need only five milligrams every hour or 45 minutes, I can take a smaller edible and dose myself out. If there's reasons for me to dry, ver or dry herb vape my flower and I have a different feeling, that helps me more at night. I get more CBN and, and other things off of my material that truly makes a difference in a different part of my wellness routine. Even my oil, using my reclaim for making edibles later on. I love that the plant is so reclaim. There it, yes. I, dunk, I dunk these in here and I, I get all my clean reclaim. Okay? Yes. I save up gallons of the stuff and my buddy Matt in York PA who makes all the edibles, he takes my pucks, he takes my tincture yes. and he processes them into RSO mm -hmm. and edibles. Yes. Okay, those get given to patients free of charge. When yes. I get a batch of them in, I give them away. When I get a bunch of RSO syringes, I know patients who come to me that are struggling with cancer issues. They can't afford $75 a gram for, for RSO at the dispensary. So when I have excess to give away, I give it away. I don't sell any of it. Yeah. Because look, <clears throat> we're all supposed to be in this together. Okay. There's a lot of what I call cannabangers whose only, only motive is profit. They don't give a shit about quality. They only care about what they can sell and how much they can get for it. I don't deal with those kind of people very well. Okay. Uh, I have, I have never had a profit motive. My end game with everything I do in the cannabis space is leading to one thing. When the feds legalize and I can legally produce and sell Asher's finest as a, as a product to go into dispensaries I'm going to partner with guys like the Quality Brothers and, and Green Beer Grows and, and several other craft growers who exist right now. We're going to all get together and we're going to start putting out Asher's Finest. But here's the difference. I'll white label all they want. But anything that, that has my label on it, Asher's mm -hmm. Finest, 100% yeah. of the proceeds from anything I ever sell on the legal market is going to pay for building high-density housing to house homeless veterans. There we go. That's yes. always been from the day yes. I of the brand, Asher's Finest, I decided I didn't care about being rich. I, I don't have to work because I'm a, I, I get money from the government as a disabled vet. I want to take what I love doing, which is making green and turning it into gold, and I want to take that and I want to turn that into housing. That's a legacy. Money doesn't last, but a legacy does. Oh, we talk I about can, it a I lot here. Is the guy who housed all the homeless veterans in Southwestern PA using weed to do it. Hey, well, there's, there's, there's three things you know. that I want to say about that. <laughs> One, no business I ever started was successful without a why at the end of it. If you only saw a dollar amount in the bank account because of the process, I never got fulfilled in the business. I nope. ended up losing out on, I, I, it was a loss all the way around. When I thought about, 
when I thought about that, why, what is, when it, it, when that cash is in that bank account, what are we building? Who are we helping? Why are we helping? Are um, we just rolling it, around in, in fancy cars and, and that's and, right. It and never works. Are man. we actually trying to do something positive? That's right. To help others. And now, you look, know what? I've got last... no problem with people making money. No, okay? well, if, it if takes... I was 20 years old getting into the cannabis space, I would be hard focused on making as much money as I could, but I'm a 54 year old guy now. Okay. I'm at the, I'm at the further end of my life beyond my halfway point. Okay. Especially with my health issues. So I need, I feel a sense of urgency to take Asher's finest to that point where I can break ground on that first project because until I get to that point, I'm still propelling towards that. Okay, and whether that's doing podcasts like this or doing uh, public events like the Cannabis Festival we're having in Pittsburgh, August 14th, or whether it's going to the State House and speaking at the Rotunda and lobbying to our state reps. But see, here's the big difference between Ohio and Pennsylvania. You guys are not a commonwealth. You got enough signatures from the public to get the legalization issue put on your ballot for this November. So you people need to get out and vote because if you voted in, now your state house has to comply. Well, we in a, a commonwealth lot of in a commonwealth like Pennsylvania, we're prohibited from having voter initiated binding referendums. So all referendums have to come through the state house and that's where we hit our roadblock because we have a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled state house. And the biggest problem with Pennsylvania is that we are a schizophrenic state. You've got Pittsburgh on the west side, you've got Philadelphia on the east, and these are the two biggest cities in the, in the whole state. But the rest of the middle of the state is all Trump land. Okay, it is a very rural, very uh, conservative, very religious, and even though most of the voters still want it legal, the state reps that represent those districts are Republican and refuse to move any bills forward. No home grow bills, no, no drunk driving per, uh, protection bills, you know, DUI per, protection bills. None of that shit's getting through because they will not give a win to a Democratic governor. See, it hurts. They feel it hurts them. But they're not understanding that while they're waiting for this, you know, for their perfect governor to show up, people are suffering here, okay? The prices are still outrageous. They've come down a bit, and there are, there are discount programs, but the quality of the medicine has gone way down since the buyouts of all our GPs by MSOs from out of state, yeah. which was never supposed to be allowed, by the way, when they first crafted our law. Pennsylvania owned and operated only. Well, in the last two years, that changed, and now we've got a quality problem and a pricing problem, and we've got a lot of patients who are turning back to a gray market, which is craft growers that they know in the region. You know what? Um, I guess why the YPA, Eric? I mean, if you could, if you could go to Oklahoma. Right. And and have the ease of access for say three thousand dollars and do whatever the heck you want. If you could set up an educational base just a few states away in Michigan or even on the East Coast, there's opportunity. Okay, no, no, you're it, really valid question. 
Valid question. Okay. And I've been asked this a couple of times. I'm going to give you the, the, the best answer I can. I came from, I came to Pittsburgh in 1988 from California, which is where I'm from originally. What okay. part? Uh, well, I was born in San Francisco. I used to live in I, Anaheim. That's why I asked. Well, I just wanted to. In, in 1986, I turned 18 and I joined the California Conservation Corps, which was a state agency that took youth at risk between 18 and 24, give you a two-year contract as a temporary state employee, and they teach you to fight forest fires and help yeah. uh, help out with swamp rec or stream reclamations and do other things like install water heating systems at state facilities. I was an energy auditor. I started off at the Escondido <laughs> Fire Center as a, just a, a guy running a McLeod, okay, just hand-cutting fire line. And then I qualified to get into their energy management training program, which was at Placerville. So I moved to Placerville. And uh, let's see, um, it was uh, Sierra College out of Rockland, California, that I got a certificate in energy management technology. And then I worked with a crew out of there that went all over the state to state facilities. And we did energy audits. We did uh, uh, water heater blanket installations and changed out, you know, lighting to CFLs from incandescents yeah. and, and that kind of shit. And then I qualified after that to go into the headquarters construction unit, which taught you actual construction trades. And I became an electrician. I was a, an actual crew leader and we were building the new academy in San Luis Obispo. It was an old army base that was a World War II army base. And we tore down or gutted out all of the buildings and built brand new facilities to build the new academy. So that's what I did during my two years with the CCC. At the end of your contract, you have two choices. You can take a state test to become a permanent employee. They call it a conservationist one, mm -hmm. or you have to step aside so they can bring in another person yeah. to get a, a chance to do this too. So at the end of my two years, I figured, well, I'm an electrician now. Uh, I have family in Pittsburgh. My mom's side of the family is all from Pittsburgh. I said, well, I'll just come to Pittsburgh and I'll get a job as an electrician. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> Not so easy because in 1988, there were no jobs in Pittsburgh at all. Okay, the steel steel mills were shut yes. down. Unemployment was over 10%. It was ridiculous. I, I was stupid. I didn't know. So I'm at my grandmother's house in, 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 in Pittsburgh looking for work. And because I wasn't a union guy with a with a journeyman's card, they wanted me to go through the whole apprenticeship process, yes. even though I had been running an electrical crew. I wasn't willing to do that. But by chance, one of the guys in the neighborhood that I knew as a kid when I'd visit my grandmother, we'd hang out and play. He had just gotten out of basic training in the Army. He was in his Class A uniform. And I, and, and he, he saw me, and I went over and talked to him. And I'm, oh, yeah, man, the Army's – I'm going to be doing this and that and this and that. And now understand when I came from California, I had hair down to my waist. <laughs> yeah. Holy. Okay. I was just a stoner kid that, that was working for the CCC. There was a bunch of us, by the way. Um, so at that point, my friend said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I've been looking for work. I can't find anything. He said, well, talk to this recruiter. I said, dude, I like to smoke weed too much. He said, don't worry. The recruiter can get you past that. He said, just go take the ASVAB. So I go and I take the ASVAB test and I scored so high on it that they offered me any MOS that I wanted in the, in, in the army. Yes. I wanted to fly Apache helicopters, 
but if you don't have 2020 eyesight, they won't take you in the program. Yeah. So I'm, I, I couldn't get into that, but that was really the only thing. And I ended up working in field artillery, running a rocket launcher called multiple <laughs> launch rocket system. And the reason I picked that was because at the time it was the newest, most technically advanced weapon system. The army had in the inventory. It had just been deployed to West Germany to counter the Russians. Yeah. And I got a $6,000 cash bonus and guaranteed European duty for going into that MOS. So that's what I did. I signed up, took my initial oath of enlistment, December 27th, 1988, but I didn't go into basic until January. January 18th, 89 comes around and I am at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, going through basic and AIT which means I came in technically under Reagan because it was two days before he left office. So, but I served under Bush one. Okay. So I do basic in AIT. I'm first in my class in AIT. They kept me an extra month and maybe go to an additional school that gave me this certificate that said I could replace the electronic units in the launcher. It was an additional skill identifier that only becomes important when I get to Germany because I arrive in Frankfurt, West Germany on my 21st birthday, <laughs> June of 89. Okay. I had never been out of the country other than, than to like TJ, yeah. you, know, you know, a couple of times, but dude. And even the culture awesome. shock from California to PA oh. or even Oklahoma is like, whoa. It was insane, you know, so, dude. I don't um, want to make it too long a video. I'm just trying to hit the highlights. No, we're so, good. You're so good, I man. I Germany, June of 89. I arrive. I report for duty. I'm private nobody. No rank yeah. at all. It's private one Asher, right? <laughs> and so I'm standing tall in front of our first sergeant who's going through my file. You know, it's just routine shit for him. And he says, you got any, you got any uh, smart questions, Private Asher? I said, uh, well, first, Sergeant, how long does it take to get into a launcher? And he just kind of chuckled. He said, said, that's an E-4 slot. You're going to be in an ammo platoon running pods for those guys for three years before you even qualify. I said, but I'm a Sierra 8 first, Sergeant. And he stopped what he was doing. He goes back. He pulls out that certificate. Yes. I spent an extra month in Fort Silver. Yes. And he said, no shit. Because a month before I got there, I had no idea. DOD specified that all launcher crews had to have a Sierra 8 qualified launcher crewman, regardless of rank. So he looked at that thing. He said, well, he said, report (laughs) the second fire sergeant (laughs) orchestra. Tell him with my compliments. But here's the problem, man. I jumped the line over 60 guys in the ammo platoon who had not only rank, but time. They had been working towards that. I stepped into it day one because I had a little piece of paper. So now you're enemy in your own own culture out there. My my track commander hated me. All the guys in ammo hated me. And I had to... And, and actually was driven because my sergeant really wanted to kind of show that I would not be able to handle it. Yeah. Dude, he made me the best launcher driver in Europe. I won every contest <laughs> we had. I got a letter on the wall from a two-star general congratulating me on that shit. It made the colonel of our battalion look amazing, and he loved our crew. So <laughs> we got away with doing a lot of shit that, that I had no business doing at my rank. I was holding an <laughs> E4 slot as an E1. 
And boy, did that stick in the craw of a lot of people. But I proved myself worthy of the position by my performance. And that's all the Army cares about. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I did so well that I got the opportunity to go to an additional school in Germany to become a unit armorer, which is the guy that repairs all of the firearms from the pistols all the way up to the caliber machine gun. Okay. So I wasn't supposed to be able to do that in my MOS, but the Colonel was like, Hey, you're a gun nut, right? I said, yes, sir. said, you want to go to school? TDY, which is temporary duty, which is really great because you get like per diem money on top yeah. of your regular check. Oh, yeah. yeah super. <laughs> but I mean, like I just had such an unusual time in the military because I I just managed to really do well in, in the initial stage and then continue to uh, just... I had an excellent support structure. Well, and so now you come. I earned my place. My sergeant was, you know, we were all lockstep together. And when we got deployed down to the Gulf, we went down December 17th of 90. So I spent, I spent Christmas in Saudi Arabia. I spent January, uh, New Year's in Saudi Arabia, and then February in Iraq (laughs) and ended up in Kuwait and then ended up back in Saudi Arabia and in, and in Kuwait guarding the oil wells that Saddam had lit on fire. So we're sitting in the middle of these huge billowing smoke, just breathing this shit in all day long. No masks. Yeah. No masks. Plus we got hit with sarin gas. Okay. They just, the VA just last month announced officially that they acknowledge that Gulf War syndrome is in part caused by exposure to sarin gas. I have been saying that for 32 years because my lungs got shot to shit out there and that's why I couldn't serve anymore. It wasn't the desire. I wanted to serve. Okay. And that, that's what fucked me up initially when I first got out, because when you, when you feel like that's when you get into being a cop or a fireman or a nurse or somebody who's a first responder what you do becomes who you are. You, your identity is tied to what you do because what you do is a 24-7 sort of proposition, okay? And when that gets taken away from you, not, not due to your own fault, that has a really big... Yes. It fucks with yes. you so much. And, dude, it had me so fucked up I could not hold a job. Between 1992 and 1994, I had, like, 25 jobs, all in management positions, but I couldn't play office politics at all. I was not, I was very, (laughs) and if somebody got promoted or somebody got something that I knew I outperformed them and could prove it, I I would just, I would quit or I get fired from jobs and I just couldn't, I could not do it. Um, And by 1994, I had burned all my bridges and I was on the street for a year. So uh, the reason that I want to do this thing here is because I was homeless here. There are, 25% 25% of all homeless people are veterans. In some cities, it's 40%. Even higher. Yes, okay. exactly. So I want to be able to take what I do and not just make a bunch of fucking money and have a big fancy truck and a, and a house and shit. I live in an $800 a month apartment here. Okay. But what I do for people, the value of that is so much greater than any money that I would be getting. I help people live better quality of life. 
I teach them how to do this themselves if they, so they can they can make better medicine. The the impact that I've had on the cannabis space here in Pennsylvania is is the fact that I was the first one to ever be allowed to give a public demonstration of rosin extraction in a public venue. I have since gone on to do it at public libraries, yes. convention centers. I go to public events that are not cannabis events, wellness events, and 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 music music events, and I demonstrate this to people. It destigmatizes. It lets people see this is not a scary process. It's simple heat and pressure. Yes, okay? it is. It's not dangerous, and it and when they see the quality of the product that comes off of it, off of that flower, and they and and some people have taken their first dabs with me, and it's. Yeah. <laughs> just life-changing for some of these people. That is more gratifying to me than any of the yes. money I could have possibly made doing it. And But that's what you asked the why. The why yeah, do I And do that it? is it. Yes. It, I could go huge. to Oklahoma. I could go to Michigan right now, make a shit ton of money. But here's the thing. I'm not a transactional guy. I'm a relational guy. Yes. And I have cultivated strong relationships with dispensary owners, bud tenders, wellness doctors who who help me get their veterans their cards for free okay the normally cost 200 bucks a year to get a recertification yeah. i can get veterans their cards free of charge that's i mean they still have ah, that's great yes I mean, but it's a lot less it's 70 percent less and that really helps out a lot of guys who otherwise wouldn't be able to get their cards Okay, so it's the other things that I do besides just making rosin. It's the education that I do when I go and I'm a I'm a speaker. I, I speak at public events. I go and lobby on behalf of of, of cannabis at, at our state house, and I go to Michigan on behalf of the caregivers. Yeah, because they're trying to rein in what the caregivers in Michigan can do. Yes, they're trying to roll it back, and they have and, and they have. I mean, and now, and they offer things like the micro licenses, which exactly. were a couple of years ago almost economically unfeasible to even think about it. Now it they've dropped been, the price, but they've made it just as restrictive. It's been a difficult choice to stay here, as I see what goes on in Oklahoma and Michigan, and soon to be New York and 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 Virginia, and now you guys. You and Maryland both have gotten enough signatures that your legalization is now on the ballot. So your state house can't stop it now. You have bypassed their ability to block it. That's the problem with Pennsylvania is that our system, our, our state constitution forbids us from doing what you guys just did. So here's what I've been proposing. And I can't seem to get anybody to get any traction on this. I think that we have a legit constitutional challenge to that prohibition. Because of how many states? Normal, I think that if Normal and Marijuana Policy Project actually put real resources with their legal team into Pennsylvania and put a constitutional challenge on that, and we could get that repealed, we would have had legal weed three years ago if we mm -hmm. could have put it up on a, on a voter-initiated referendum. But yeah. you can't do that in a commonwealth. So that's the kind of paralyzing politics yeah. that keeps people like me with one foot in both places because yeah. I I end up going to other states to get things I can't get here like edibles and yeah. and and or how about this cartridges here half gram cartridges or 
you know, 50 bucks, one gram or 90 bucks. You go to Detroit, you can get $20, $25 for a one gram. Yes. You know, even liquid live resin cartridges, you can get like five for a hundred or, or four and, for a hundred sometimes. And they're damn good cartridges. But you take the risk because you have to drive all the way through Ohio to get there. Right. It's six hours from here to to, to Detroit for me. If you, Eric, man, so, this is. And with the gas prices the way they are, I'm definitely not not doing a lot of that right now, you know? I, I kind of, you know, your why is your why is the type of why that makes a difference. I think it's um, I think you even have the background where you're used to running into the place with the largest amount of fire, you know, like instead of when most oh, people no. run away in fear, you're, you're was running guy, in. I wasn't the guy with the rifle running in into battle. I was the guy no, but sitting what I mean in is, the tracked vehicle shooting rockets and taking out square kilometers. That's but what, what I, I mean is you're used to that idea that you're, that there are places where you have to, you, there are places where you have to act. There are places where you have to speak. There are places sure. where even if it was easier in Michigan, because it's, because access is so difficult in PA, there's more of a reason for you to stay there and be even louder. There's more of a reason. There's a lot of patients that would really suffer if I, if I decided to do the easy thing and take off. Yes. So I decided to stay here and fight the good fight here in PA and really try to call, to call the hypocrisy of our legislators to light and, and continue to challenge the unconstitutionality of us as, as the voters not having a say in this because we live in a commonwealth. It makes no sense. And I really hope that shows like this are going to get some kind of traction and maybe, maybe MPP and maybe national normal will get their shitting gear and get their national legal teams over here to Harrisburg and challenge that shit. Because I guarantee you, if we could get it banned or or strict from our, from our uh, state constitution, the very next year, we'd have it on the ballot too. But yeah. you guys are going to be legal this year. And I'm really, really encouraging anybody in Ohio, if you can vote, you need to vote for your bill that, that allows adult use because it also includes home cultivation. Yes. Okay. Which, so that now was, you're not going to have to buy these overpriced tenths. Is that what they call them in, in, in Ohio? Yeah. It's two a and a half grams. Is that? Yes. It's 2.8 for 60 bucks, you oh know, all the way God. up. And so you've really? added an extra $120 per ounce just in the way that they price that mm-hmm. out in a tenth. My and, man. And here's you gotta, the even, you gotta come pay me a visit here here at the studio, man, sometime. What's even worse is I your prescriptions. The quality brothers. Well, and what's worse is your prescription is designated to a 90-day period, right? 90 and so days. yes. Now you have four 90-day periods in Jeez. your yearly license. But what this means and what the officers and the police have been able to lobby and petition when everything happened was right. if I am caught with my jar, which I had paid $60 a tenth all the way up, I right. have I I am I, I did the right thing all the way through. If my jar is outside of my 90 day increment on my on my issue then it could be taken away i can be charged again i can have a whole manner of things and so you know it's it is so difficult and again dryer vaping doesn't work for everybody not this this whole 
this entire pretense about they know what's best, they know what device is best, they know what means and, 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 and what increments are best is insane. And when we look at the flower, I am allowed the amount of oil that I am allowed, what they say is an eighth is a an eighth is a one day, and a tenth of flour here is my one day increment. <laughs> really? And, yes. Really? Now, or, or, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, a yes. A, actually, wow. I mean, a tenth is a two to three day increment for them. A, a gram, or a, a you know, their level of my concentrates here is deemed as one day. So I'm allowed to buy 28 grams of, of flour or of oil compared to my one and a half or two ounces of flour that I'm able to get well, 28 grams of oil. <laughs> and so, you know, like to me, that's a year's worth of usage in concentrate to what you're allotting me in my flour in that one month increment. And so it's that's this, what happens when the laws are made by people who don't understand uh, cannabis in the slightest bit. The funniest thing is I was just talking to a friend who went to, it was speaking in, in Virginia and he talked to the panel of 16 guys who were in charge of the rules and what's going to, what's going forward. Right? right. And this gentleman came in and we know him and he said, may I ask how many of the panel here knows what the endocannabinoid system is or has ever heard of it? And only three people of 16 raised their hands. And it's like, whoa, 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 guys, this is, 75% of you have absolutely no qualification to be making a decision about how this interacts with a patient or a body or any other thing. And yet you guys are on this panel and that is it across the board. Ohio has the same type of things. PA had the same type of things. Even Michigan has the same type of nonsense that goes through. Um, and I definitely, I do. I hope this resonates with some people who can come to PA and, and, and actually make a difference for you. Um, well, like I said, yeah. I've been, I've been speaking on LinkedIn to, to the head legal counsel for normal and he doesn't, he doesn't return any of my messages. He doesn't seem to be terribly interested and see, here's the problem in Pennsylvania. All of the local chapters, they're all completely they're run by people who yes. have conflicting business interests yes. that, that influence their ability to, in my opinion, lead. Now, this is just an opinion. I'm not saying anything libelous. I'm not naming any names. But anybody who knows the major cannabis organizations, the official cannabis organizations, <laughs> uh, know that what I'm saying is completely true. Yeah. Um, there are very few organizations that are only out to help people. There's individuals who do that, like myself and my friend Matt over in York, who, who helps out patients with the edibles. Uh, the Happy Hippie, that's his name. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to shout out to the, my men with dignity guys. Knowing some other veterans who, you know, we're all, not, and we're all veterans too. Myself, Matt, you know, we're taking it upon ourselves to create a small veterans network that can help other veterans access medical cannabis, get their certifications, make sure that it's affordable and make, make better concentrates. But the thing that's great about cannabis is the versatility of it. No matter how you like to do it, whether you like to smoke it, eat it, dab it, put it on your skin. They've got, you know, uh, like in suppositories, you can shove it up your ass if you want. Yes. To. And it's all, Everybody finds that perfect way to get the cannabinoids they need into their body. Okay. 
dabbing isn't for everybody, making rosin isn't for everybody, but for those that, that truly like it and love it and it gets into your blood, and I'm telling you, man, it becomes an obsession. I'm <laughs> always looking for that next better strain. I'm yeah. always looking for that, that I call them the holy grail strains. They're the ones that, that produce more than 30% per eighth. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you the very best flower rosin yield I've ever gotten or ever seen anybody actually publish on a video that can be verified is in 2019. I was at, at the cannabis cup up in Detroit. I went to reef dispensary on eight mile and I bought a quarter of uh, Wonka bars. It was 30.9% flour. And I took it back to the hotel, shot a video <laughs> pressing an eighth of it, and got 1.53 grams wow. back off an eighth. That's a 43% return. Nobody In the hotel. Flower. Nobody does. <laughs> I started showing that video to people. They couldn't dispute it. It's all one long take. There's no, yes. there's no edits in it. You saw it just like I did. I had no idea what was going to happen. And it was like lightning struck that day. But it showed <laughs> that you can get yes. amazingly good yields with flour. And most of my yields with Quality Brothers flour, everything's above 20%. Most of the stuff is a 25 or better. So, and that's consistently where when you go to the dispensary, when they first release a new strain, you might get a 27% initial return on it, but you come get it a month later when the next batch or the, or the second yes. piece of it is out and you're only going to get 22%. And yeah. then the next batch is 18%. And it's not just because they're pulling it from different parts of the plant, although that is part of it. It's also because they just, they, they, I don't they know, can't instill the same they, amount of passion, it, but well, but yeah, there's never a, seems to be as good on the, on the subsequent releases as it is on the very first yeah. one. So like African Thai used to be a monster yielder for me back in 2018, 2019. I mean, my average yields were above 30% almost every time I touched it, but in 20, 2019 and 2020, those yields went from being 32, 34, and 30 down to being 22, 24. And, yeah. and I just, the, the, the consistency changed. It was less stable. It uh, didn't cure the same, and it had way less mercine. The, the mercine content of that flower, when it was originally came out in 2018, was almost like, it was ridiculous. It was 7% or something like that. And, yeah. and, then, and now you can barely get it above 1%. Yeah, that's so, crazy. It's you know, Eric, I've been man, watching that happen. I really, really did we run out of time, brother. We did. We're at the time, man. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Honestly, no way. This I has had a been, great, great talk, man. I really hope that we're able to, to kind of you know have you come back again when BC is here too. And sure. let's just keep talking. I want to see you know what happens in Michigan and where some of this goes. So I want to see what happens in Ohio because you guys legalize this year then the Quality Brothers are going to blow the fuck up. Yeah. Cuz they're already making a name for themselves not only in Northeast Ohio but here in PA as well. Yeah. Because of because of what I'm making. Now, think about it. The the economics, man. You're 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 paying 23 to 30 dollars a gram for some of the best solventless yeah make right. it yourself it's, dude exactly don't, don't don't buy the the mini bar price 
Yeah, no, and I'm a firm believer in that education. It's not just make it yourself. It's can I teach my neighbor to do the same yes. thing? Can we yes. can we combine some type of energy pool here and just get a better outcome for everybody that's surrounding, you know? So I think that Absolutely. you're why you're amazing, man. Eric, I genuinely Dude, appreciate come to the you studio. You're welcome here anytime, brother. If you're in Ohio, it's not that far. Come on over and pay me a I visit. Appreciate that. Big stash. We'll press some flour. We'll do some dabs. It'll be great. For everyone listening, if you're looking for if you're looking for Eric, you can find him on on LinkedIn at you know Asher's Finest Rosin. Uh, Instagram is the same way. He's got his YouTube channel. He is everywhere, and we will definitely have his links Hang below. On, here. Um, <laughs> see if I can get it. There it is. There it's it on is. my social media right there. I turned green into gold. I coined that phrase. <laughs> so if anybody else ever uses it, they stole it from me. I love it, man. Thank you. Honestly, you're you've been you've been a blast. This has been a blast. I, and I think and you I think I am gonna take you up on that offer, man. You really Wait, are only a couple anytime, hours away. Anytime for sure. Awesome. Well, for everyone else listening, we really hope you enjoyed the show. I want you to like, subscribe to the video below. Um the audio only goes out on all the patio cast networks, usually about a week after and on Monday. So look for that if you're just driving in your car. And yeah, I'll see you next Friday and I'll see you soon, Eric. <laughs> hey, stay safe, stay medicated, be good to each other out there. You're awesome, man. Have a good day.